Welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd, and each week on this podcast, I talk to some of the most fascinating people on the planet in all areas of life, from mindset to fitness to spirituality, and of course, business. Look, I believe you deserve success in all the areas of your life, not only business. But before we get into today's show, you may want to join us on our next Work Hard, Play Hard experience. This year, we're going to be going to Mykonos and Marrakesh. In these experiences, I have hand-selected a group of high-performing business people who are seeking more balance, connection, and they want to celebrate their wins as a reward for the hard work that they put in. If you want someone to curate once-in-a-lifetime experiences and force you to play more, rush over to workhardplayhardexperience.com. Fill out an application so we can jump on a discovery call to see if this is a good fit for you. And remember, excuses are over. It's time to live. If you're in a panic attack, you cannot function. So forget it. What you got to do is say, okay, <laughs> once I get a panic attack, I'm along for the ride. Let me see if I can get prepared for the next ride to stop it before it gets going. All this focus on not getting revved up, forget it. You've got a brake pedal. We just need to learn to use it. Port just broke the code on how it gets turned on. Face, voice, the touch of another person. We're very social creatures. This is how our calming system is supposed to work. Of course you're thinking about not getting revved up, but the answer is to calm down, to hit the brake pedal. Welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard show. Today on the show is Captain Tom Bunn. Why is Captain Tom Bunn on the show? Let me give you a little background. I had a panic attack two weeks ago. I never had one before. I thought I was having a heart attack. Around 2 a.m., I woke up with my heart pounding out of my chest. I walked upstairs. It felt like the walls were closing in on me. I do have a past history of feeling claustrophobic in certain situations, but nothing that ever came close to this. What was strange about this was it was like having claustrophobia on steroids. And I found a book that I thought was going to help me through this process. And it turns out that the book is written by a former commercial airline pilot that ran a fear of flying school. And during that process, Captain Tom stumbled upon some solutions for people who are suffering for, from uh, panic, like I am. So. I knew that he would be great to have on the show, if nothing else, than to help me. And, and the way it works is when you help me and you got an audience, there's somebody who's going through something just like I'm going through. So if you are finding yourself with all of this COVID business, like randomly having weird anxiety or panic attacks, this episode is for you. I'll tell you exactly what happened to me and you'll hear me getting coached live using his methods. All right, before we get into today's episode, if you're in a situation where you have a forced reset in your business because of what's going on with COVID now, or you just need a good pivot and want some coaching and accountability, I want to help you. I'm going to do some free 30-minute coaching calls to see how I can help you. All you got to do is go to work hard, play hard coaching. Dot com, fill out an application, and we will jump on a call. All right, without further ado, please enjoy this episode with Captain Tom Bunn. 
Captain Tom, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Rob. Glad to be here. Okay. So I am incredibly grateful that you took the time to do this with me um, on such short notice. And because of our current situation, it seems that the COVID crisis is triggering panic attacks um, for people who have issues like claustrophobia. And full disclosure, I'm one of those claustrophobic people. So I uh, searched for a solution to what I was experiencing. I found your work. Um, and let me start with that and just say thank you for uh, your willingness to be on uh, the show to talk about uh, what it is that you do. Yeah, I'm more than willing. I, you know, it's really hard to get the get the word out because we have stumbled onto something that is one of the most important things in psychology, and it's really hard to get it out because there's no money behind it. What happened was there's a guy named Stephen Porges, who's a neurological researcher. He's, he's very distinguished and well-known. And he stumbled on finding out that there's a way to activate the calming system. Now, if, if you look online, you're going to see all the stuff about how to stop a panic attack or how to st- reduce your stress. It's all about not getting revved up. Look, we have we have two parts of our emotional regulation system. One part revs us up, one part calms us down. And the whole world of psychology until Porges discovered this has ignored the calming part. It's like you got a car with an accelerator pedal and no brakes. Hey, we got a brake pedal, let's use it. Porges figured out how to do that. All right, we're going to we're going to take a deep dive into all of that, but I want people to first know more about you. So, what I thought we would do today if you're game is to first talk a bit about your background and sure. then talk about your work as it relates to uh panic and then we could maybe if you're into it or willing, we can do you could we can use my situation as a case study for people okay. who are going through it because as I as I've been talking about, I try and be as um vulnerable as I can on this show so I can help people. And as I've been talking about it, I've been getting a lot of messages from people saying, hey, what are you doing? How are you doing it? And I just don't, I'm not qualified. And I said, look, let me see if I can get the guy who is qualified to come on the show. So, okay. So just by way of background, you graduated from Wake Forest uh, College with a psych degree, uh, went into the Air Force uh, where you flew the the first supersonic jet F-100. What was it about that dual interest of psychology and flying that interested you? Well, (laughs) it comes from growing up uh, in a small town in North Carolina during World War II. When when the war was over, the guys who came back who were the heroes were the pilots. They they got all this attention, and you know I thought that was that was pretty neat. So I'd like to have some of that. So that's how I got interested in aviation. Oh, um, so interesting. And, and it's, always about the, it's always about getting the girls, right? Yeah, yeah. And and, and, <laughs> and one of the one of the girls I was having a problem with was my mom. She had a major uh, mental problems, been hospitalized and things like that. So when other kids were reading comics. I was reading books that her psychiatrist had given her, you know, so I, that's how I got into the psychology end of it. So interesting. Okay. So after the air force, you flew for, uh, for Pan Am, you were flying Mm -hmm. planes like 747s. And one day one of your colleagues, uh, began a fear of flying program, which initially you were a bit reluctant to become a part of, but you discovered something when you got into this uh, about what worked and about what didn't work. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Well, it started with uh, this course at Slim Cummings. Truman Cummings started at Pan Am. And um, 
It was based mostly on understanding how safe flying is, about the backup systems on the plane, uh, exposure to actual flight, and uh, some relaxation exercises. And it was one of the first. And it was, uh, you know, being one of the first, it, 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 it helped a lot of people, but a lot of people it didn't help. And what really bothered me was we would do these so-called graduation flights. Pan Am gave us an airplane to take people up on. And, and there the people were sitting there doing their breathing exercises, which we had told them would take care of their feelings. And doing their breathing exercises still in a state of full-blown panic. It wasn't, it wasn't a nice scene. So I said to Slim, you know, we ought to add some cognitive behavioral techniques to this mix and see if we can improve it. And he, we never got around to it. So finally I gave up. And, and then after a couple of years, set up my own program and added cognitive because that was, that was impressive stuff back then in the 80s. And um, it did help some people. But here's the thing. Some people's panic, or well, put it this way, their anxiety level goes up fairly slowly. Those people can use tools like cognitive therapy. But we had these other people who, when they started to get revved up, it was like they go to zero, zero to 102 seconds. And they just go zipping right up to panic. And uh, there was nothing we could do that uh, would help them. So, and that's how the SOAR program was, I guess, I guess that was the brainchild of it from there, right? Or the, the seedling. Well, in, in the program, I was, I was trying to use first cognitive therapy and it wasn't working for these particular clients who escalated rapidly into panic. Uh, so it became clear we needed something that would work automatically and something that would work maybe even unconsciously, because the conscious brain, when you are in a panic attack, panic attack is kind of fried. Uh, Geraldine Ross was a well-known therapist. She was head of the uh, uh, Phobia Society of America. Now it's called something else, Anxiety Disorders Association. Anyway, she came up with the idea of thought stopping. Put a rubber band on your wrist every time you think of anxiety-producing thought. Snap it. Cause yourself some pain. After you do it a few times, maybe you'll inhibit that thought. It seems to make sense, you know, and it worked somewhat, but it just didn't sit well with me to inflict pain. So I thought about what about redirecting thoughts from flying to some experience, maybe some big deal experience. So one of the people I remember was working with a, a woman who had run the New York Marathon. And so I would say, okay, whenever I give you this hand signal, she was standing. I said, I want you to go step, step, step. Take yourself back to the marathon. Just go right into it. Relive it. So I'd say, okay, plane's taking off. Give her a little pause there and then give her the signal to go into the marathon. So we, we, we took a couple of dozen things that happen on a flight, challenging moments of flight, and linked it to running the marathon. She did okay. But when I tried this with other people, it was hit or miss. Until something happened, once again, it's interesting how the things you stumble on are the most important things. I had a client who said, I'm going to link, that is, I'm going to redirect my thinking from flying to nursing my child. And I thought to myself, you've got to be kidding. You're going to get on the plane and think you're never going to see your child again. But I didn't say it, fortunately. She called back in a week and said she had an absolutely perfect flight. And the way she described it was, she had better results than anybody had ever worked with. But I figured it was a fluke. But it, in the next couple of years, there were two other times when women who were clients who 
had nursed a child on their own, came up with this idea of redirecting thoughts of flying, which had caused anxiety, to nursing, which was calming to them. They got great results. So I figured I got to check into this. And it turns out a researcher named Sue Carter had found that when a mother's nursing a child, she produces a massive amount of oxytocin. You probably heard of that that yep. uh, peptide, that sure. hormone. Yep. Okay. Um, we talk about how it helps build relationships or causes bonding, which is one of the things it does. But the other thing it does is it inhibits the release of stress hormones. So what's going on when a mother is nursing a child is that it's going to take a while. What if halfway through she's thinking, gee, man, I got got so much stuff to do. I can't keep doing this. So she might, because of her anxieties about other things that need to be done, stop nursing the child, get to work at something else. The child wouldn't get the nourishment it needs. So nature stepped in here. And when she starts nursing, she starts producing oxytocin, big amount. All the time she's nursing, she produces oxytocin. So she can have the thought, I got other things to do, but she doesn't care. There's no oomph behind it. There's no stress behind it because the stress hormones are inhibited by the oxytocin. So that was what was going on. It wasn't really thought redirection, but in the process of telling people, think first of the airplane, then nursing the child, which we thought was directional, going from the airplane thought to nursing and then just replace the airplane thought in your mind with nursing. Well, in a way, we were doing it. But what nursing was really doing was not just distracting you. It was actually activating your calming system. All right. We're going to get, we're going to go deep into oxytocin in a second because I have a lot uh, that I want to talk about there. But the, uh, the thing that interested me the most for you, just sort of like to wrap the background, your background up a little bit is, you know, when you go all in on something, you go all in, you decided that you wanted to expand your training beyond your BS in psychology and you got your master's from Fordham. Um, you got a postgraduate education in gestalt therapy and uh, you even trained in NLP. Mm-hmm. Then eventually you decided to add cognitive behavioral therapy to your arsenal. Why mm-hmm. did you decide to combine all those different methods? You have some traditional and some non-traditional. Yeah, well, the whole problem was the stuff I was trying to do to stop panic wasn't working. Uh, so that's how I ended up trying one thing after another after another. And, and okay. all of the things seemed to offer some insight and but none of them individually were doing the job but to some maybe by doing all of these different types of therapy helped put something together that that would work and but but once again it it really you know when you stumble on something it's 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 great because you know we probably have come up with most things that we can come up with intellectually it's probably already been done. The things that, that are really going to be, even in the future, the really important things are things that happen by accident. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Most of, certainly most of the inventions happen that way. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So I thought what we can do next is I want to give you my personal scenario as a bit of a case study to help people who find themselves in similar shoes. And I'm going to give you... Um, 
as concisely as I could um, relative to um, I'm about maybe about halfway through the book now. Um, and some of the things in my life that I think perhaps may be relevant to this. Um, and again, for people that are listening that identify with this, I think this is really going to help. So, so here goes. So for context, I have a past history, as I mentioned earlier with claustrophobia that is getting worse. Um, as I age, I'm 53 now, um, to use flying as an example, I have no problem getting on a plane and flying, but if we land and everybody stands up to get out and the flight attendant happens to say something like, um, and we just found out that we have a problem with the door or we need to get a new jetway. It's going to be 10 minutes. Um, it, you know, uh, my, my heart is full blown racing, sweating. I feel like I could, you know, literally punch the window of the plane just to get out of it. Or if I go uh, go-kart riding and they put me in a five-point harness, um, I'll lose it. I once made my wife walk down from the top of the Eiffel Tower because I couldn't get in the elevator because I went in on the way up. But I was like, I'm not doing it on the way down. So as this relates to COVID, none of this uh, COVID situation bothers me per se. I'm not, maybe I should be, but I'm not worried about catching it you know, in, in like a panicked way. I don't think I'm going to die for, from it. I don't think it's my way of leaving the planet. But I started to notice that each time, I live in Hermosa Beach in, uh, in Los <laughs> Angeles, and I noticed that each time they started to close things down around me, like non-essential businesses, I started to feel my heartbeat a little bit more. Then, you know, I go to the beach a lot, surfing, things like that. And I noticed, oh my God, the beach is closed. And I felt panic starting to come. Then I was like, well, at least I can go to the park and work out. So I went to the park and I drove my bicycle there and there was, uh, you know, police tape around the parks. You can't, mm -hmm. you, you can't work yeah. out in the parks. And each one of these things felt like for the first time, those specific situations of claustrophobia that I was experiencing were experiencing in situations that were completely quote unrelated to claustrophobia. Yeah. Right? It's like that airplane door being closed and it's not going to open. The park it's is exactly closed what, and now it's not going to open for you. Yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly right. That's a good way to put it. It's exactly right. So I kept taking my mind off it. And then I was like, okay, well, I'm going to stop watching the news. And I stopped watching the news. And then, you know, it came to a head 10 days ago. It was um, two o'clock in the morning. And normally when I hit the pillow at 9.30, I get up at 5.30 and, you know, I, I'm dead. I don't hear a thing. A bomb could blow up. I don't, I don't wake up. I sleep great. Um, but at two o'clock in the morning, I woke up, my heart was pounding out of my chest, felt like I was having a heart attack. Um, all the classic symptoms of flushing, heartbeat, um, et cetera. Um, I looked up at the ceiling and it felt like the ceiling was coming down mm. right on my face. Mm. I went upstairs, uh, to the balcony. I tried to get some relief uh, looking out the window and it felt like the houses across the street were closing in on me. Uh, and then eventually, um, after walking up and down the stairs, trying to go back to sleep, um, I sleep with an eye mask on um, because the light uh, does give me sensitivity uh, in the morning. I couldn't put the eye mask on because it felt like it was claustrophobic. Now, I know that the environment that I was raised in um, actually has a lot to do with this. So for context, I was raised by an alcoholic dad who uh, beat me as a kid and my mom um, allowed it uh, to happen um, because I think she was in fear too. And I realized after reading your work that you know there's a critical 
18 month mark of life, um, where, you know, sort of getting that parasympathetic reassurance calming is so important. So I'll take a break there. Can you talk more about how that works? You know, that calming response, and maybe you can kind of just talk a little bit about my situation as it relates to COVID. Well, I'm trying to figure out the best way to get into it, but here's the thing that we, we found in addition to nursing a child. Another thing that didn't know why, another thing that was calming to people was linking to moments of getting engaged and to moments of saying wedding vows. Okay, so just let's stop there for a minute. Okay. That was working, didn't know why. But then Stephen Porges, when I found out about his work, what he was doing was experimenting with how the vagus nerve works and how it changes the heart rate. And when he had his subjects hooked up to his equipment, to his surprise, he found that when a friend would walk by, their heart rate went down. So he dug into it a little more, and he found that if you're with a person who's physically safe, you unconsciously pick up signals from them. If you're with a person who's physically safe and psychologically safe, your heart rate goes way down. And and I mentioned the vagus nerve. What happens is, the parasympathetic nervous system, our comic system, is able to pick up these signals from other people unconsciously. And if we're picking up signals from their face, from their voice quality, not necessarily what they say, but their voice quality and their touch or body language that are indicating that they're safe to be with, if they're physically safe and if they're emotionally safe as well, you get full activation of the parasympathetic nervous system. It then activates the vagus nerve and causes the heart rate to go way down, causes the breathing rate to go down, and relaxes the gut. So what (laughs) had happened was the moment that you're getting engaged or the moment you're saying wedding vows, you're being completely accepted by another person in a very profound way. That's common. Now, what we can do, let's go back to your situation. Let's take, let's imagine that you, let me ask you, do you have a friend who sometimes you're with them and you feel your guard lets down? Yes. And um, I've, through doing your work, I've been, you know, I went back and forth with different people, but you mm-hmm. know, like with everything, there's, there's certain baggage with certain people sure. and certain, you know, you had a fight and the, you don't want to trigger that thing. You know what I mean? So I had to find the one that I felt for, for the, for all of the reasons would be a good one to use in this situation. And after, after exp- experimenting with three or four of them, I got uh-huh. one that that feels good. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Now, Let's imagine that you're with that friend and they miraculously somehow have a photograph that was taken of you when you went to the park and saw, oh man, please tape here. Yeah. Now, let's say that that, that, that that experience is a little bit too hot. Let's put a proxy in here. What's, your, what, what's one of your favorite cartoon characters? My favorite cartoon? Ah, it could be any, any one of them that you like. Homer Simpson, Charlie Brown, I don't know what. As a kid, I loved Richie Rich comic books. Oh, good. Okay. Let's say Richie Rich is in the COVID crisis. And he says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to the park and walk out. I work out. He goes there. Oh, my God, it's closed. Now, can you see that cartoon? The reason for using him is 
you know, with cartoon characters, they always get into trouble. They always get out of it. So we don't yeah. take it seriously. So, you know, we could try putting you in there in this picture, but we could be safer if we put some cartoon character in the situation running across the blocked park. Now, okay. So, so, so Richie, it, just to make sure I'm following. So Richie, yeah. I'm visualizing Richie Rich himself going yes. into the park and seeing the police tape. Yep. Yeah. Okay, Only now, yep. now, just take that as, as as a cartoon in a cart in a comic book. Yep, and just oh, okay. Click, so I'm click, looking at him doing this in like a comic book. In a comic book, and you clip okay, it out. Got it. Now you want to take that, you clip it out, and imagine that your friend is holding it by their face. Okay, let me just say this back to you. So, Richie, I'm talking in real time here. So, so I'm looking at a comic book. I see Richie Rich. He's uh, in the comic strip. He's walking up to the park. He sees the police tape. I cut that picture out of the comic book, yeah. and I hold it. My friend's name is Dave. I hold it next to Dave's face. Yeah, because what we want to do, there's signals of safety coming from Dave's face. Yep. And we want to connect those signals of safety to the situation that caused stress. But there's a there's a bit of a disassociation, I think you're maybe, I don't want to put words in your mouth, okay, but it okay. sounds like there might be a little disassociation where where I'm trying to distance myself from well, seeing the part. What we want to do is we want to have an anxiety-free exercise. Uh, and okay. we, we might be able to get by with it by putting your your memory of being there and seeing it yourself. We might be able to do that, but to be on the safe side, why not? It works just as well. In fact, okay. it probably works better. If you, if you put a proxy person in there, because you're taking the, you're taking the, the, the situation, which is park is blocked and you're letting somebody else experience it rather than yourself, but you're still getting park is blocked linked to the safety signals. From Dave's face. All right. So Dave, Dave is looking at Dave's holding. He's the holding comic. it. Yeah. So He's you can see it. his face in the comic at the same time. You can see okay. Richie Rich and you can see Dave at the same time. Like side by side. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. Got it. Okay. okay. Continue. Got it. So just stick with that for a minute. Just, yep. for, just for a minute while we're doing it, just take five, 10 seconds and see both at the same time. All right. So in my mind, I've got, I got Dave's face. And I've got Richie Rich, um, Dave holding it. So it's kind of like his right hand is holding it. it, it is he yeah, looking? Actually, yeah, just, is he looking what, just, at the comic? No, I tell you what. Just put it. Just just have him hold it by his cheek, touching his cheek. Hold it by his cheek. Okay. So Touched they're both up. facing me. His face yeah. and Richie Rich are facing me. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. Uh, All right. Just, got it. So I just want you to take a few seconds and let that in. Okay. You could look at one and then the other, but that takes more repetitions to link it up. If you put the two together at the same time, it links up very quickly. Okay. All right. Second, I got it. Okay. Second step. We've already got linked to the safety signals of Rich's. <laughs> no, not Rich's, but Dave's face. <laughs> if we, if we okay. only could. All right. Yeah. Then the second step, you want to link to the quality of Dave's voice. So let's say that now the two of you look at the cartoon together. You and Dave hold a you hold a corner, he holds the corner of it. And let's have a five or ten second imaginary conversation with Dave about what the two of you see Richie Rich's situation there. 
Okay, so Dave, Dave's holding, he's already has the comic in his hand. Now I'm getting involved and I'm holding a piece of the comic too. Yeah, so you're looking I'm at having, it together. Yeah. We're looking at it together and I'm having a conversation with Dave, but what's important is I'm hearing the quality of his tonality of his voice. Exactly. Okay, all right, I got it in my head. Okay, now as that's happening, Dave just slips his arm around your waist and gives you an affectionate hug. We just want to bring that in because that's the third thing that activates the calming system. Face, voice, touch. Now, if, if this was a situation where it's not appropriate to have that kind of touch, you could just look at the person's body language. Okay. Okay. So we got that first step hooked up. Now, there may be some other pieces here. Um, let, so let me ask you, is, the, is there another image that we should link about this situation with the park? Specific to the park or, or any other? Yeah, well, let's stuff. go back. Let's stick with the park for a moment. A minute. Is there another piece of, is it, did anything else happen there that triggered you at the park? I, uh, let's see. I, for example, did you think about what it would be like to get arrested? No. Okay. Or um, to encounter somebody and get infected or anything. Can you think of any other thing that would trigger anxiety other than the fact that you just couldn't get into the park? Uh, well, the only thing I'm dancing around is, so the, let, let's say on Monday, I went to this patch of grass, it's called uh, Bruce's Beach, that's overlooking the ocean. Yeah. And I worked out on that patch of grass and I was like, oh, okay, at least I can work out. The next day I rode my bicycle there, police tape was there and I was like, oh, I can't work out. It felt oh, like yeah. I was closing, up, closing okay. in on me. Yeah. Okay. And, so there's a second place we need to do this then. Okay. So <laughs> here's the next day, Rich rides his bicycle there and, and sees, oh no. No, no, no. The place I was counting on. Okay. okay. Try this on your own now. Remember you want to link to Dave's face, voice yep. quality and touch. Yeah. Okay. So just to make sure I'm doing the assignment right, what I'm looking to do here is I'm looking to visualize um, Richie, uh, Richie Rich riding his bicycle, seeing the park um, saying like, oh no, oh no, I can't, you know, I, I can't get into the park. Then uh, we cut that out. Dave's holding it. He's looking yep. at it. Yep. Then, um, Talk about then, it. then talking about it. And then Dave and I together, well, together we're talking about it. He's, he's holding one piece of it. I'm holding a piece of it. And um, I'm hearing his tonality and voice. Um, and again, you said it doesn't matter what he's saying to me. doesn't matter at all. It's just the quality okay. of the voice. That's where the signal is. It's not the words, it's the music. Okay. And then after that, the, uh, the last step of that was, um, oh, he puts, his, he puts his arms yeah. around me. He gives just me an hug. affectionate hug, just a friendly hug, reassuring hug. Okay. 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 Face, got it. Face, voice and touch. Okay. So that's how we can link to a situation. Now, since we just kind of covered those face, voice and touch things, let's go to a second version of the exercise where instead of linking to a park that's blocked, what about we link it to the feelings that happen when you start to have a panic attack? Okay. So that any place that, that we haven't rehearsed ahead of time, it panic can happen sometime, right? So let's see if we can figure so that when something in the future, no situation that you did, ever thought about linking up, it, and it starts to cause panic, how can we stop it? Okay. There's five or so things that 
that you notice when you have a panic attack, you get the pounding heart and the rapid breathing, feel like you can't get your breath, sweaty, tension, maybe some psychological changes. Okay, so we're going to take each one of those five things. And what sometimes will happen in a panic attack is, is it will start with just one of those things, maybe at an unconscious level. And then the first trigger, like the pounding heart, leads to the difficulty breathing, or the difficulty breathing leads to sweatiness and so on. So we want to take those five things and break them down into just individual elements of a panic attack and link each one of them up as a separate item. Okay. Right. Like you, like you mentioned with the pearl analysis, where exactly. cheap, cheap pearls are just for the people who haven't read the book, cheap pearls um, or non-real pearls are str- all strung together. No, um, no, not. Yeah. no, not. And more expensive ones are individually um, knotted up. So they protect each other. And more importantly, if they fall, they, they don't spread all. Exactly. All so okay. now I've got some sort of canned cartoons I generally use with my fear of flying clients. Yeah, that's fine. And um, and I think that it's I think that it works for panic in general. So okay. <laughs> the cartoons I use is I use Clark Kent for pounding mm-hmm. heart. Clark Kent gets on an airplane, and you know he's looks like a nerd. He's got on a business suit, wearing glasses, but he's thinking if anything goes wrong with the plane, no problem. I'll just become Superman, grab the plane, put it on the ground. Hey, you know I like showing off. I actually, hope something goes wrong. So there he goes. Mm-hmm. Plane yeah. takes off, and suddenly he realizes, realizes uh, he's in trouble. Someone on the plane has kryptonite. Now he's lost his ability to become Superman, and he starts to panic. He's, there's nothing he could do if something goes wrong. So he starts having, let's say he has all five elements of it, but what we want to do is focus just on pounding heart. Okay. When a cartoonist shows a pounding heart they draw big red exclamation marks on the chest and alongside the chest some slightly curved vertical lines You've probably seen that so I if have. you can imagine here's clark kent starting to sweat it out on the plane with his panic attack and then on the chest of his blue business suit big red exclamation marks okay put that by uh dave's face put the uh, put superman, the image su- superman yeah just, the cartoon of the superman, superman image okay superman on the plane uh, yeah, it doesn't matter. It, it could be okay. on a plane, it could be any place, could be in an elevator, or it, or it could really not even have a location. What we're looking for is the pounding heart. That's what he's feeling. And you want to link Clark Kent having the pounding heart, big red okay, exclamation so marks on his chest. He's feeling all that. Right, so I'm looking, I'm looking down at a comic book. I see Clark Kent and he's got his business suit, his glasses on. And I just know because of the, you know, the, the, how they drew it, that his heart is beating out of his chest. Yeah. Now put that, have, have that touching Dave's cheek now. Okay. Got it. And I'm looking at, I'm looking at Dave's face and I'm looking at the cartoon character. Perfect. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Got okay. it. All right. Next, you hold a corner of it. Dave holds the corner of it. And you talk about, hey, poor Clark Kent. You know, he likes to be super. Well, good for him. You know, I can't ever be super, but <laughs> here he is. He's having a bad day. So he's having a panic attack. Okay. So you just have a little conversation about that. Can you just imagine Dave's voice for a moment there? I can. Yeah. Right. And then uh, as you're talking about it, Dave just gives you an affection hug. Okay. Okay, got it. Okay, so that's how we link pounding heart. Second thing, the um, difficulty breathing. What happens is you get some stress hormones 
makes you breathe faster. And then if you get more stress hormones, it makes you breathe even faster. Well, if this continues, you get to the point that the stress hormones are telling you to breathe faster and it's not possible. And it, when you reach that plateau or that, that blockade blockage there, you're, you're told to breathe faster and you can't. You feel like you're suffocating. So the cartoon I use for this is, and you'll see why in a minute, is Popeye. He gets on an airplane with his girlfriend, Olive. He's a macho guy. He doesn't want her to know how he feels about being on an airplane, you know, where they're going to close the door. You know, he's claustrophobic. So uh, when he starts to get edgy, he thinks, best way for me to hide this is get out a can of spinach. So he reaches into his pocket, fumbles around. Where's the spinach? Can't find it. Reaches deeper and deeper. His hand comes out the bottom of his pocket. Now he knows he's in trouble. His spinach is lost. He's got a hole in his pocket. So he starts to panic, and he starts to do what we call hyperventilate, breathing really fast. And now he's blown his cover. He's going to turn to Olive because he's now going to need some help with this. So he started to say, hey, Olive, I'm having trouble breathing. And he's going to show her that he's having trouble with his throat. So he takes his huge fist, wraps it around that long, skinny neck. And because he's getting tense, he starts to squeeze on his neck, not meaning to, but it, instead of saying, hey, Oliver, having trouble breathing, it comes out, Oliver, I can't breathe, because he's squeezing on his neck. So there's your cartoon. Okay, try linking that up there. Okay. I got the two of them uh, same way. I got it at his cheek. Mm-hmm. Okay, got it. Talk it over about the difficulty breathing with with uh, with Dave. Dave, yeah, and then you get a hug. Okay. Now this this third one is that uh, sweatiness. The cartoon character that's kind of famous for sweatiness is uh, SpongeBob. He mm-hmm. when he has in his cart, he has a lot of panic attacks, and when he does, his sweat rolls down his face. So you got his face with the sweat rolling down it, and so you link that up with. Uh, with Dave. Okay, so he's got the sweatiness. I'm looking at the. Uh, I'm looking at him in the comic book. Dave's hold. Dave's holding it up next to his cheek. I'm looking at it. Uh, Dave and I are having a conversation about SpongeBob sweating, and he gives me a, a reassuring hug. Got it. Okay. Got yeah. it. All right. Good. Now this next one is. Um, I mentioned psychological changes. Some people have it. Some people don't. One version of it is uh, derealization. It feels like things aren't real. The way someone explained it, it was a client. He said, it feels like there's a plate glass between me and reality. Another version of it is out of body, like you mm-hmm. looking at yourself from outside. And the cartoon, is, the cartoon I use for this is Scooby-Doo because it's, it's the only character that I know that has psychological stuff going on in his cartoons. When you see his cartoons, he's having some kind of emotional problems. They show him with stars over his head and spirals over his head, exclamation mm-hmm. marks maybe. So the story I came up with is that um, Scooby is in a kennel sitting on the ramp near an airplane. And uh, he's just looking around. Pretty interesting seeing all the baggage carts running around, planes taxiing in and out. Eh. A couple of baggage handlers come over, pick up his kennel, put him in the belly of the plane, close the door. Oops, now it's dark. Well, he can handle that. He's been in the dark before. But things are going to change. When that plane takes off, he's going to be feeling acceleration linearly and up when the plane comes off the ground and turning and all these noises, things he's never experienced. He doesn't know what it is. And let's say he starts to get overwhelmed. Now, if if it's derealization, 
like things aren't real that he's feeling. You could uh, you could think his he feels like his kennel, which is made of wire, has turned into plate glass, and he's enclosed in this cube and can't make contact with anything. If that's one that you or your listeners have had trouble with, link that up to today's face or their who they're over there using, then talk about it and then get the touch. And Would then, um, a feeling of the ceiling closing in on me or the trees across the street feeling like they're coming close qualify in this category? Yeah, it's the same kind of thing. And so what I, you could do here is that Scooby could feel like his cage is closing in on him. Because okay. I want to use the same thing, but I want to kind of give you a way of dealing with it that doesn't obviously connect with you. Because I don't want okay. you to get anxious doing this. Oh, okay. So it's important that the visualization that I'm doing is sort of like in the area of what I'm feeling, but not exactly what's happening. Yeah, we just need to get enough safety um, when we do the exercise that you can do the exercise without getting stressed by Mm, okay. Yeah, because because I could easily once once you said that plane door was closing, I literally felt my heartbeat there you go. increase. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Got it. All right. All right so uh, same thing here. Visualize him, uh, Scooby Doo, holding it uh, to his cheek. Um. Um. Uh, Dave is looking back at it, and um. Then uh, Dave and I are are uh, hold, sharing the uh, you know holding a piece of the uh, cartoon strip. We're having a conversation about it. I'm noticing his voice, the tonality, qualities, etc. Gives me a reassuring hug. Got it. There you go. Okay. Now just throw it in here. If your listeners have that other version of it, like looking at yourself from outside, Scooby could imagine there's a part of him outside the kennel looking at him in the kennel. Okay. okay. The yep. last one is pretty easy. The, the cartoon character that uh, is famous for attention is the Incredible Hulk. The normal version, Bruce Banner. You could be on an airplane, could be any place. So for some reason, Bruce Banner starts to get uh, panicky and turn into the Hulk. Chest gets huge, starts turning green, buttons popping out, popping off. And so there's all that huge body tension. So try linking that up to Dave. Okay. So I got the comic strip. I got him cheek. He's looking at it. We're holding it together. We're having a conversation about it. I'm listening to his voice. And he gives me a reassuring hug. Okay, got okay. it. Okay, now let me sort of jump to something that's associated to this because that, that's the five things that we're talking about linking up. Um, it, 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 all see one of the things when your cell phone rings, it makes a lot of noise. As soon as you answer it, it stops ringing. What happens to the amygdala if it's something's happening that it is reacting to that might be maybe a danger? It wants to get your attention, so it causes feelings. But in order for you to say, "Okay, let me look around," oh yeah, I see what it is. Oh yeah, what do I need to do about it. You need, you can't, you don't, you should not stay in that state of alarm because you can't, your mind is not, doesn't work well when you're in a state of alarm. You need to go from alarm way down to curiosity. And if you're fortunate, that gets built in when you're about a year and a half old. If you're not fortunate, you don't get this automatic down regulation built up. And so when you get alarmed, instead of calming down immediately and dealing with the situation, you get alarmed, you stay alarmed until the stress hormones burn off. 
So here's an exercise that you can do just in ordinary day-to-day experiences. For the next few days, actually look for the feeling that you're getting revved up. Actually look for the feeling that you just got a shot of stress hormones, or even a little bit. The, 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 the lower threshold that you can pick it up, the better. But in any case, as soon as you can recognize you just got zapped by the amygdala-releasing stress hormones, just pretend that Dave just walked in the door, says hello to you, and comes over and gives you a hug. Because when what happens is you're taking his calming presence, and as soon as you feel revved up, you're bringing his calming presence in to calm you down. So the goal is to not get revved up, but... Well, well, not to stay revved up. Because, I mean, when you get that shot of stress on, it's just going to rev you up. It may even get you feeling alarmed. Like, look, everybody who gets on an airplane and feels the plane drop is going to get a shot of stress hormones. Yeah. People who are comfortable, though, oh, what was that? Oh, well, forget about it. They calm Mm -hmm. down right away. Other people, they stay alarmed. So what we're looking for is to build in this automatic down-regulation of alarm. Because you are going to get some alarm or at least vigilance that hits you when you get the stress hormones. That's what it does. It's supposed to. So um, what we want to do is for the next few days, every time you feel that you just got revved up by some stress hormones, imagine that Dave walks in. There's his face. He says hello. There's the quality of his voice. And he comes over and gives you a pat on the back, a hug, whatever is appropriate. You know, really, whatever's appropriate. So assuming (laughs) today is like most days, you're going to be zapped a few times. So you get a few opportunities to try it. And remember, you know, sometimes you won't remember to do it. But after a few days, it's going to become automatic and get built in so that every time you start to get revved up, you get some calming. Okay, so it's both you looking for it to try and find it at the threshold to train mm-hmm. yourself to downregulate parasympathetically through yes. having a friend's um, having Dave using the example, um, give me a big hug, and also to use it when you get zapped just naturally by the environment. Well, you could you could um, you could actually practice it. Just imagine that you got zapped and bring in his face, voice, and touch, or you could just go through your day and whenever you get zapped, see if you can remember to bring it in quickly. It, initially, it may not really seem like it's giving you much benefit, but as you continue doing it, you're going to train yourself to pick it up at lower and lower levels, and finally, okay. it's going to work because it'll it'll stop it. It'll nip it in the bud. But, you know, what will finally happen is it will take care of anxiety before you even realize there's anything that needs to be taken care of. Because you've trained the downregulation. Yeah. You've trained it to happen at a, at a level below you're even what you're even able to pick up consciously. One of the things that, um, while I was reading your book, I remembered watching a documentary, and the documentary was how they train Secret Service agents. And yeah. one of the things they do is when the uh, the guns are firing off around them, they train them to go into a zen-like thing that when they hear gunfire, the opposite happens. They go more parasympathetic than sympathetic, mm-hmm. which is which is kind of, I think, in some ways, what you're trying to do here. Yeah, and um, I, I, I got to look that up because I'm just wondering how they how they get that to happen. Do you do you, do you remember? 
I have to see if I can find out where it okay. was. It was a few years ago. It was a documentary. Okay. Um, you could probably probably look. Uh, you know, secret like it was like a it was like a Discovery Channel okay. Secret Service um, <laughs> okay. documentary, one of those yeah. things. You know, yeah. You know, I'm I'm now able to go through the day and decrease um, my arousal using your technique of visualizing somebody that's comforting me, giving me a hug. I did not think that that would work, but mm-hmm. what's interesting about this and what I love is that it doesn't matter whether I think it's going to work. Um, <laughs> yeah. It still works. It um, seems too simple, doesn't it? It seems too simple. It yeah. seems too simple. Well, like, you know, I'm sure that that's what your listeners are going to be thinking too. So let me tell you, there was some research last year at uh, University of Arizona. It was interesting along this line. They took 102 people in this uh, um, research uh, and they, all of the people in the research were in committed romantic relationships. So what they were going to do is put them under some stress. And I'll tell you what the stressor was. It's also kind of interesting. It was to put one foot into two inches of 38-degree water. Not terrible stress, but a couple of people dropped out. Didn't want to do it. Okay. So apparently you ended up with 100 people in the research. Now, th- they used three different interventions. They were going to try to see how much benefit that these each of these interventions would have to reduce the stress of having the foot in the water. Now they had them hooked up to monitors, you know, a breathing rate and all that blood pressure stuff and and heart rate variability. Anyway, the first the first intervention was they told the subjects they divided in, in, into three groups. So the first thirty some people. They said, while your foot is in the water, think about what you were doing earlier today. Easy to do just, you know, what you were doing an hour ago. So you could keep your mind on something else than the fact that your foot is cold. So they tested those people. Second group, they said, while your foot is in the water, think about this person that you're in this romantic relationship with. So they tested them. Third group, guess what? They actually had their lover there with them. Physically Mm. present. So you can kind of figure that they did okay. What was really interesting is the people who thought about their romantic partner had the same results as the people who had their physical, had the partner physically present. Because the brain can't tell the difference between what's real and what's imagined? God, you know, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but um, if, if, if you can bring to mind the, the qualities, you know, it, it may be that in some ways, it's, you mentioned when you were looking for somebody to, to link to, you, you kind of ruled out a few people because you had some bad experiences too. Yeah. Well, that, that's typical. But if you're going to say, okay, you're in this group that's going to think about the romantic partner, you're going to pick a good moment. You're not going to think about the fact you just had a fight. You're probably going to think about, oh yeah, it's wonderful when she looks at me that way. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to ask you more about yeah. that moment uh, in a second because we're going to, we're, we're going to, I want to, uh, I, I want to touch um, the area. Uh, well, let, let me stick a pin in that because I have a couple of questions before it, so, so I can create some context. Using the using the uh, technique of having somebody, you know, visualizing somebody that's comforting me is working, but like clockwork. At 2 a.m. and 4 a.m., really those two times, right around that, those two hours, I wake up with a beating heart, um, feeling like I'm going to die and really having trouble 
getting the visualization to work in the middle of the night because I'm disoriented. It's new to me. I'm not used to it. So I guess the question is, does it take a while of doing this for my subconscious to pick it up? Because there's a difference between, I suppose, what's happening with me consciously interrupting the pattern with the hug versus, you know, me going to sleep and just, you know, all bets are off and all hell breaks loose. Maybe you can talk about that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, well, I don't know for sure how to fix that. But my guess would be, you know, how when you start dreaming, it may be about something that was going on. Like recently we've been watching The Sopranos. <laughs> so when I'm having dreams, sometimes it's about That'll, give you, a panic. That'll yeah. give you a panic attack. Yeah, so um, it could be that before you go to sleep, maybe spend a few minutes thinking about some, not just bringing to mind face, voice, and touch, but just thinking about um, a, a time you spent with Dave and maybe a time you spent with somebody else and some moments in social interaction or romantic interaction so that when you go to sleep, that that's still perking when mm-hmm. the 2 a.m. and 4 a.m. I don't know what else to try with that. Okay, no, that's fair. That's yeah. fair enough. And I think it'll eventually work itself out. Um, but I, but I, would, I do want to mention something here is that, you see, when you're awake, your what we call executive function can recognize the difference between what's real and what's imaginary. But when you're asleep, your executive function's not working. And you you know, when you're asleep, you're dreaming, it's, it's imaginary, but you think it's real. So, when you have something imaginary that's danger or threatening happen, you wake up, you go right, you wake up in a state of panic because you've got no protection from your executive function. Which is certainly related to what you talk about in your book, which is that reflective function, which is a subset of the executive. Which it's is, not working when you're sleeping, yeah. Which is completely, for lack of a better word, collapsed. Um, okay. Now, this is a weird one. I've linked up my bedroom and particularly the curtains in my bedroom, Uh I can go now I can go down into my bedrooms, look at the curtain and my heart will start to race Uh because when I woke up at two o'clock in the morning, I was staring at the curtain next to me. And so every time I see the curtain, it's like it's creating this weird panic attack, almost such that at like when I went down last night to close the curtains, it was like closing a coffin for me. Okay, so you got two or three images there you want to hook to uh, to Dave. Just Richie Rich looking at the curtains. Uh, Richie Rich touching the curtains. Uh, Richie Rich thinking, there's something about this curtain looks like a coffin. And you may, you, you may find there's a couple more when you start digging into it. But you want to take each of these pieces that are part of the panicky response that's triggering stress hormones when you bring it to mind and and link it to the uh, face voice and touch of of um, of dave okay that i can do that um why is it that this situation with uh covid19 which you know we've never had in the history of the world here why are so many people reacting in sort of like a panic way. In other words, like I I came outside the other day, I looked around and it's, it's so freaky because 
normally I'm looking for big, wide open spaces because being claustrophobic, I don't like closed spaces. So now I look outside, I got these big, wide open spaces and nobody's walking the streets. But the fact that nobody's walking the streets is actually creating claustrophobia in me and it's doing the opposite because of this. So the more this, like, you know, when my wife says to me, you know, they just, they just announced in LA, everybody's got to wear a mask when they go in the store or they just announced it might be two more months before we're going to get out of here. It like all of these things are making me feel like I, like I just want to unzip my body and just like, you know, just get out of it. Like maybe you could talk about that. Let me, I I want to kind of step back because I, 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 I want to point out that probably 40% of us don't have built in as little kids a way that kicks in our calming system. 60% probably do to some degree. Mm-hmm. And so if you think about the people who don't have good automatic calming, they say, hey, I get upset really easy. And when I get upset, it's hard for me to not to get over it. So guess what? I'm just going to control things to make sure nothing upsets me. And by the way, oh yeah, and if something I can't control, I'm going to get the hell out of there or I'm not going to get involved. So there's a lot of us, almost half of us, regulate our emotional state by regulating the situation that we're in or not getting into it. Mm -hmm. Avoiding it. So if we now look at this COVID virus, the situation, how the hell do you control it? The thing you normally depend on being able to control, you've got no control. The other thing is your backup to get the hell out. You can't get out. You can't run from it. Where are you going to go? Italy <laughs> or Spain? It's you not going to work. That's exactly what I thought about. I was like, I was like, I can't even get on a plane and say I'm just going to go spend three months in you know some remote whatever village. You know, <laughs> exactly. you can't even do that. Exactly. Wow, that is that is really fascinating. Okay, so I want to get into the weeds a little bit on one of your strategies for uh, creating stop gaps to isolate the uh, the pounding heart. You just used the analogy a minute ago, you know, with all the different cartoon characters. You talk about explaining the difference between a memory that applies the vagal break versus an oxytocin producing yeah, memory. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, we talked we talked all about the the calming system, but because it's more versatile in a way. But if you've got a situation that you know is triggering you, you can also link it to oxytocin production so that when you're in the situation or think about being in the situation, instead of producing stress hormones, you've got them blocked by oxytocin. So, okay, I'm a little, I'm a little bit confused. Yeah, so, okay. See, so I mentioned that nursing a child will produce it. Let me just run down the things that will produce oxytocin. So, you know where you're going to get it. Where, where here's the store. Nursing a child. I don't think that's going to work for you or me. Okay. No. Nope. Holding a newborn child. What what nature's doing here is producing oxytocin to make you feel protective of the child. Now, here's one I think is really fun. Guys at orgasm produce a big blast of oxytocin. What for? It's not to shut the fear system down. It's to cause bonding. Nature figured out, hey, if this activity could cause a a child to be born, and uh, if I can get the guy to stick around, the child's going to be better off with two people rather than one taking care of it. So let me see if I can get this guy to bond with this this, uh, sexual partner. Okay. With females, the story is not so nice. Oh, by the way, let me just say, 
if you can tell your wife about that, she won't be so annoyed with you when you fall asleep after making love. Yeah, listen, I, ho- I hope so. Yeah. But you okay. make a distinction, just so, just so I understand the, yeah. the, or, the orgasm part while we're here. Um, you make a distinction in the book um, where you talk about foreplay and you talk about the afterglow. Yeah, but well, the that, thing is, that's foreplay, foreplay uh, according to the research is a little foggy here. In foreplay, half the research finds that males get oxytocin and half the research doesn't find any. But they, mm. but they find women get oxytocin there. And you can see why it would be useful from nature's point of view because nature wants us to reproduce, so it would be a good thing if we can get the female to not be afraid to get involved. But you can see that what I'm saying is not exactly a nice story because she may be out with somebody who's totally inappropriate for her to have a relationship with, and yet something happens in terms of the of the chemistry, and she loses her fear of getting involved. Then th- another time we get oxytocin is involved with pets. Maybe it's because, you know, when you're with your dog, your dog looks at you like you're the only person in the world, totally devoted to you is kind of like good foreplay. In a way. What The last one is a solid hug, bear hug for 20 or 30 seconds. So anyway, there's your shopping list. Any one of those things or a combination of those things will give you oxytocin. When you get oxytocin, shuts down the amygdala, can't produce stress hormones. So let's say you've got a situation, we and we could use it in, in a situation that we've already talked about, the uh, going to the park and seeing the tape there. You could imagine that you just made love and your wife has that picture of Richie Rich at the uh, park where the tape is. Okay, here's where I'm stuck. Mm-hmm. Where I'm stuck is the difference between vagal breaking okay. and um, the oxytocin okay, producing okay, sure. memory. Okay, your car. You've got accelerator pedal and you've got a brake pedal. Yeah. Vagal breaking is like hitting the brake pedal. It actually calms you down, slows the car down, right? Slows your heart rate down, slows breathing rate down. Okay, that's yep. the braking system. That's good stuff. Okay. Now, the other thing we can do is don't hit the gas pedal. Block the gas pedal. That's what oxytocin does. Well, no, that the what it does, I understand. Where I'm getting stuck is when when you give the 10-day formula at the end of the mm-hmm. book, one day you're looking for, you know, like on day one, you're looking for somebody to give you a hug that will sort of, you know, create that vagal breaking. But then another day, you're looking for a, an oxytocin-producing memory. Yeah, so we want to do if both. The, yeah. yeah. But if the hug produces, th- does the hug, I think the hug is what's screwing me up. Because the, I if think you're the hug probably does second, both. Yeah, the hug can do both. It, but, oh, it, it can do both. Yeah, and there, there okay. are some other situations that uh, are crossover. They, they, will, they will do oxytocin and activate the calming system. And sometimes the client will come up with a moment where they say it's definitely working, but I can't put it into either one of the categories for sure. I say, well, don't give up on it. Keep using it. But let's, in addition, find a clear oxytocin-producing memory, link that up to the challenges. And let's take a clear moment with a person who is activates your, your calming system and link that up. Okay, so I'm clear about what the oxytocin 
the oxytocin uh, producing memory is because you gave me the shopping list. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure I understand the calming memory. What would be some examples of a calming memory okay. that you can what, what Porges came up with is that when you're with a person who is physically safe to be with, you unconsciously get signaled that this person is not a danger to you. Uh-huh. I mean, you can imagine, for example, suppose you you encounter someone uh, and you're all alone, nobody else around. Your first impulse would be you're going to get some stress hormones, and you're going to get the urge to get the hell out of there because the stress hormones cause the urge to run. By the way, we should have talked about that with claustrophobia because anytime you get the stress hormones released, it makes you want to run. And if you can't run, then there's your blockage, claustrophobia. Okay, yeah. so you here's here meet a stranger, you get some stress hormones, you feel like running, but there's something about their body language that uh, neutralizes it. You get these signals that the person's not a threat. Now, if you start talking with that person, you might also be getting signals that the person is really not a threat psychologically. You know, when you when you get with a bunch of guys, usually they're trying to break your balls, right? You know, compete. Yeah. Um, but because we're we're competitive, we like to criticize each other. We like to judge each other. Even advice, in a way, is a form of criticism. Like I know better than you do about how to deal with this situation. What we're looking for for the calming is a person who's not judgmental at all, a person who just accepts you, not even actively accepts you. The, the whole question of accepting you or not accepting you just doesn't exist for that easygoing person. Okay. All right. So um, as people, when they get the book, they're going to be going through these 10 days. And, you know, on day one, you you really broke this down beautifully. On day one, you're going to be doing some vagal breaking by thinking about, you know, somebody that's uh, calm. On day two, you're going to you know, trigger an oxytocin producing memory, etc. You say that Let's get back to sex for a second. You say yeah. that um, finding an oxytocin producing memory in one of the chapters could be something like sexual foreplay or afterglow. Yeah. But when I'm trying to, using the example of like, um, we can use the elevator as an example that you give in the book, which is okay. to link every step of, you know, somebody who's claustrophobic, they would be going to an elevator and there's a lot of steps that happen before they get in the elevator, like looking at the building and pushing the button outside the elevator, getting in the button, all those steps, you, you know, you ask to link them, link them up. And if let's say that, you know, on one of those days you chose to link Dave's face to the button on the elevator. Okay. And another day you decided, hey, I want to, I'm going to, I'm going to try, I got, I got a, I got a good oxytocin okay. yeah, you sexual can, foreplay yeah, we memory. Want, we want both to happen. <laughs> we want both to be linked up. Yeah. Okay. So now how do I link up Dave and the sex with the elevator button? <laughs> Wait a minute. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you see right. what I'm saying? Like, am, am I All putting, right. am I putting both of them is it like, you know, let, let's just use foreplay, for example, okay? Yeah. Because I think I think if we could just be honest, like people who are suffering from this, like they're willing to do anything. And if, as a guy, you know, as much as I'd like to say looking into my dog's eyes is going to give me, you know, sort of like the most vivid memory, it, I'm, I know it's going to produce some oxytocin, but maybe I'm thinking about this wrong. If I've got a good story in my head, that story can stay with me for 20 years. You know well, what I mean? Yeah, okay, uh, let, me, let me tell you then. I did a session, it's been a little over a year now, with a guy in Bangalore, India, of course, on yeah. the phone, right? Yeah. And he had read the Fear of Flying book. 
but he hadn't done the course. The reason I was doing the session with him, he had gotten into the course. Okay. We include a session in the fear of flying course. Um, so he said, he told me this story. He said, after he read the book, he hadn't had a chance to practice the exercise. And he got on a flight, and he said he got really turbulent. He says he genuinely got frightened. And then he said something really charming. He says, Tom, listen, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm happily married. My wife and I get along really great. He said, but for some reason, I started thinking of my ex-girlfriend. Yep. We had the hottest sex you could believe. And I started thinking yep. about her, and the fear disappeared. And the turbulence okay, lasted for an hour. About. And the turbulence lasted for an hour, so he kept having this terrible job of remembering his sexual adventures for a whole hour. And for the whole hour, no fear. It will do the job. Okay, this is precisely why I'm bringing up this point, because what I'm looking for is the one that's going to have the strongest emotional punch. And, you know, there are situations like, you know, the example that he gave, you know, in Bangalore, and, and women may feel this way too, I don't know. But, you know, when you're thinking about a, you know, a foreplay experience of some great night that you yeah. had with, you know, some great girl, there's a lot that you could, like when you think about looking into your dog's eyes, you can have, you can definitely get that oxytocin response. But, but I, don't it's think it's like, just, I don't think it's as powerful. From what I've heard from people say, they, they use yeah. the dog. It's helpful, but it's not as powerful as the sex stuff. With the sex stuff, the, the details of the story, first of all, we, you know, I'm sure we embellish the hell out of it. So we make it a lot more than it really was, but, but there is a lot of details that are associated with it. So, okay. So you're saying that if that's the case and we want to take the Bangalore strategy guy, the Bangalore guy strategy, and we want to use it and apply it to an elevator button, you're saying that perhaps one day, you can use Dave's face for mm -hmm. the bagel breaking. Yep. And another day you can link up a foreplay story yep. to the button as well. Is that correct? Yeah. And, and, you know, in theory, you could only do just one of the two, but, okay. but why not do both? Okay. And then when you have 15 steps that you have to take in order to get to the top of that building, you know, br breaking them down, it, you know, when we're using the elevator example, do you link the same story to each yeah, of the 15 steps? I, I, well, to, let's say if you were doing the exercise today, I would link each one of the steps to whatever that story was. And then okay. tomorrow, whatever you're going to link to, whether maybe Dave, and then Maybe the next day you're going to link to your dog, and the next day back to Dave, or maybe a different friend who's coming. And look, I want to mention another thing that, that one of the pro problems that people run into is they say, I can't find a person who I've got a good um, um, uh, sexual uh, memory I can use because, uh, because we broke up, he did me dirt or whatever. You know. But look, if you go back to the moment when it was good, you didn't know things were going to go to hell, right? So mm -hmm. if you go back to that moment, you can pull something out. You can you can salvage something really valuable. For sure. For sure. Okay. Now what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to, I feel after, again, just for context for people that are listening, the book is, the panic attacks um, are very, this situation is very new to me. Mm -hmm. um, I'm only halfway through the book and I'm only a couple of days into it. But here's what I can report. Um, I am no longer going through my waking day feeling anything that would resemble 
um, a panic attack that I can't control. I 100% can control it simply by visualizing somebody uh, giving me a great hug and using uh, some of the techniques that we've discussed already, 100%. Where I can't do it right now is sleep, which we talked about. Mm -hmm. But what I would like to know is in the middle of the night when that does happen and I am awoken into a full-blown panic or I wake up and I start to feel the flushing, the heartbeat, the the sweating. Um, What I've been doing is imagining the hug, but for some reason or another, it's like, I want to put this into words because it's a feeling, but for some reason or another, it's like I can't put my mind's eye on the hug because I just am lost in the panic that's escalating. It's like I'm looking at a car spinning out of control and I can't not go there. When you're in a dream and you wake up, it it takes you a while to get out of it, you know? Yeah. Even though you're looking at the room around you, the dream is still got you. Yes. Yeah. Um, Because you're in it and it was real. Yeah. It It just doesn't flip like a switch. Okay, so what do you recommend doing when you when your heart start when you when I, you unexpectedly I, are triggered? I I I gotta tell you that this 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 is my answer to this is don't even try to fix it at that point. What you want to do is to prevent it. Mm. Uh, you know, people keep you get this question all the time online when some of these places ask this question: What can I do to stop a panic attack? You can't do anything to stop a panic attack. People say, "Breathe." Breathing will not stop a panic attack. Nothing will stop a panic attack. And I'll, I'll give you an example of why. Years ago, I went with a girlfriend to Italy. We went to Venice, and yep. you know the St. Mark's Square in Venice, this huge square where they have you know piazza san marco yeah and at one end there's a basilica you can go up into the basilica into the balcony and then if you go out the back of the balcony which would be the front of the basilica when you get out there you go Mm -hmm. into this huge terrace that's where those lions are you might have seen okay those big carved lines okay but from up there you're about 30 feet up in the air and you can see Everywhere you can see for miles, you can see the harbor, you can see other the the, the Campanile, the tower. You can see the whole. It's a, it's a great view, and so I wanted to take her out there and show her this. We walk out there, and she says, "Get me out of here!" And I thought to myself, "We are out." <laughs> and then I realized yeah. that what she meant was, "Get me out of out, take me back inside." Look, she had just walked out of the door. But she couldn't get herself back in. Why? So if you're in a panic attack, you cannot function. No, you can't. I couldn't remember my name. Yeah. So forget it. You got what you got to do is say, okay, <laughs> once I get a panic attack, I'm along for the ride. Let me see if I can get prepared for the next ride to stop it before it gets going. So there really isn't, when you're full blown into it, there's not a thing Nothing. you can do. No, you're gone. You're gone. And it's, it's, it's okay. But there, but there's shades of gray, right? There's, there's, there's a, you know, sometimes I wake up and it might be like a, a level two on a scale of one to 10. Yeah. There may, there may be a light version of a panic attack that you can get yourself out of. Okay. Okay. Perfect. 
Well, listen, this has been absolutely fascinating. Um, you are putting great work out into the world. I am going to, um, I'm usually about two months ahead of these shows. I'm going to bump this one up to the top of the line because a lot of people need it. So uh, God willing, we'll have this thing out within a week or so uh, for people to uh, to uh, to listen to it. Um, are there any any final words, suggestions, or an ask for the people that are listening? Well, yeah, the, just the main thing is that all this focus on not getting revved up, forget it. You've got a brake pedal. We just need to learn to use it. Poor just broke the code on how it gets turned on. Face, voice, and touch of another person. We're very social creatures. This is how our calming system is supposed to work. If we were really lucky as a kid, you it just serendipitously pick it up if you're not lucky enough to have really that super calm and and responsive and and safe environment as a kid then you turn to control and and so you with turning control of course you're thinking about not getting revved up but the answer is to calm down to hit the brake pedal I love it. That's what we need to do. You know, it's do. crazy. Your book comes down to two sentences, but you need an entire book to explain why those two sentences mean something. <laughs> yeah, just hit the brake. Yeah, I mean, that's what it comes down to. But if you don't, yeah. if you don't understand yeah. why, you're not going to buy it. It's not going to make sense. I, I, I live at the bottom of a, of, of, a, of, a, of a hill. It's called Sport Hill Road. Back in the early days of, um, of automobiles, they used to race cars up this hill. It's a fairly steep hill. <clears throat> so... <laughs> These days, when cars come down the hill, you know, they have to ride the brakes. Otherwise, they're going to be going 60, 70 miles an hour as they go past my house. So sometimes the policeman sits across the road there and pulls them over. And he says, sometimes the drivers say, well, what do you expect they do? It's a hill. He says, that's what your brakes are for. Uh, so, yeah, we've got this hill now, which is the, uh, the, the virus. We've got other hills that are downhill that rev us up. And, yeah, but we've got a brake pedal. I love it. And, um, and maybe, maybe on another show, we'll talk about your MK5 Formula 3. Um, and, and we can go into <laughs> okay. your, your whole world of, uh, uh, of cars as well. So listen, this has been fantastic. I really do appreciate you taking the time to do this. Um, do you do, um, what's, what's going on in your world in terms of, uh, courses, books, uh, you know, things like that, that we can talk about, uh, that we can point people to? Well, we have, we have fear of flying program at fearofflying.com. It's, uh, the, the, the the day that they announced this is a as a major problem. We haven't sent anybody order a course on fear of flying. Nobody's interested in that. But for the book, you can always just go to Amazon and and look for Panic Free, or I have a website called panicfree do you recommend people who are let's say claustrophobic or have something similar that's not related to flying still get the flying book or is it unnecessary no i would i would I, if it's if flying is a is an issue then get the flying book because there's all kinds of things that are good to know about how flying works oh okay and then the exercises really are about dealing with the things that happen on the plane so but if it's general stuff like bridges, tunnels, high places, elevators, um, MRIs, then panic free. Okay, panic free it is. And I am slowly working my way to panic free. So, Captain Tom, thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much. 
All right. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, excuses are over. It's time to live. 